Hey, everybody. Welcome to the CSF M Group podcast. I'm Brian Marshall. Each week, we're going to sit down with a different staff member who has spent an extended amount of time putting together some of the written curriculum that a lot of you have probably seen to, to try to unpack as best we can what's going on in these passages. There is so much rich, good stuff here. No doubt each group is probably going to go in some different directions because there's so many different directions we could go. But we just wanted to put together an audio kind of uh, audio presentation of just a, just a conversation with myself and, and another staff member of saying, hey, what, what are some of the themes that we could get into in these passages to make for great conversations in your in-group? And not just for great conversations, because we don't want to just have conversations. We don't want to just learn things. We want to be transformed. We want to be disciples. And so... Uh, Man, I am so excited this week because uh, we are going to kick off this study of this semester with a passage, John 4. A lot of people refer to this passage as the woman at the well. And I remember going through uh, this study of John 4 in college with my campus minister at the time, Gene Parr. And Gene is actually here with us today because I still remember that, that study we did in college. It was a passage I knew, I'd heard, I'd read before. But when Gene started to unpack it, I thought, wow, there's there's a lot more in this than I initially realized. And so, man, Gene, what are some of the things that jump out to you when you first look at it? To start off, it just kind of heightens our interest to know that this is Jesus's longest conversation, re- longest recorded conversation in the New Testament. Hmm. So who does he pick to have this lengthy conversation with? And 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 why mm-hmm. and uh for him to choose a a woman who does not have a good reputation that that just blows the whole mold we're we're living this is jesus is living during a time where where jewish males were really really discouraged from having conversations with any women other than those in their immediate family mm-hmm a Jewish rabbi could run into his wife in the market and not even acknowledge her presence and be thought to be the epitome of of uh, of a gentleman, mm-hmm. a Jewish yeah. gentleman. You know, yeah. so so in in light of that, for Jesus to begin this conversation, not by simply talking to the woman, but actually putting himself underneath her in a sense obligated to her cuz he's asking her for a favor would you give me a drink yeah yeah and it's not just it's not just the fact that it's a, a man talking to a woman and that wasn't just a jewish culture this was you know the the whole ancient near east the whole mediterranean world this time i mean this is pretty common across all cultures that where a man you know wouldn't be seen talking to a woman who wasn't his wife uh, alone in public but it's not just male female i think there's also some cultural things there as well right i mean th- this is taking place again it's it's important to look at the words of scripture and notice where is this taking place it's taking place in samaria what what's the uh, what's the importance of that now jesus is very intentional that uh, when he is going from the lower part of Palestine, Judea, to the northern part of Palestine, Galilee, two Jewish regions separated by the unclean Samaritans, Jesus very intentionally goes directly through Samaria. Hmm. Jesus is not making a distinction in spiritual need between someone who's considered to be clean Jewish or someone who's considered to be unclean, a Samaritan. Uh, Jesus is not a respecter. He loves 
everyone universally. Yeah, and e- even though he's still traveling pretty close to his home, I mean, Jesus doesn't, uh, you know, go. You know, it's not like Jesus traveled a thousand miles away from his home in his lifetime. In fact, his his circle of travel was was by modern standards certainly extremely small, and even by the standards of those days. I mean, you compa- contrast him with someone like Paul; he doesn't travel a lot. But so Jesus is still close to home. But there's a religious distinction here, right? With this, with these people. So Samaritan Jesus is not only tackling. Uh, you know, a, a sex difference, a man with a woman, he's challenging some of those stereotypes. He's challenging a, a cultural thing, but he's also challenging religious, religious uh, ideology too, right? She would have been of a different kind of religious background. The Samaritans, like 500 years before, were, uh, were Jews. But uh, during a time of Babylonian captivity, they intermarried. And, and here we get and kind of get into a little bit of a Harry Potter kind of thing. The Samaritans were really considered to be mudbloods by the purebred uh, Jewish people. And so uh, it was, uh, there's, there's just this, this, this tension between um, a group that's feeling superior to the other group. And then they, and then that group, the Samaritans are reacting against that and and pushing back and so there was a lot of ill will it wasn't unusual for jewish travelers if they dared to go through samaria for them to go into a town to get some food and be stoned mm-hmm. and you know to be driven out of the town by the people throwing stones yeah there's some real religious animosity there but jesus is saying hey i want none of this like i i don't the way you have thought about people, uh, you know, sexually, the way you've thought about people uh, ethnically, uh, you know, all, all these different things, Jesus is challenging that. So it, it's a radical passage. Jesus is really setting himself up in in a huge contrast to his society of the time. So that's kind of some of the stuff we, we begin to see just kind of by looking, starting to dig a little beneath the surface. What are some of the other things that you see in this passage? You think, man, this is some stuff that we would we we would be miss we would be missing out if we did not uh, start to start to to look a little bit uh, deeper in some different directions. The psychology of this conversation, and it really is a, a genuine conversation, with uh, Jesus asking for a favor, the woman kind of coming back. This is my turf, you know. Mm-hmm. You're and and she's a little bit sassing him a little bit. Sure. You know, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. You know, asking me for a drink of water because you're Jewish and I'm Samaritan, and and uh, and Jesus, you know. She, in this conversation, is initially trying to push Jesus away. Mm. It's like, I don't want to have a conversation with you. That's her attitude. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jesus, Jesus doesn't let himself be pushed away. Mm. He loves her through that. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of intrigues her. It's almost like he's fishing and throwing out some bait. Well, you know, if you knew who it was who was talking with you, actually, you'd be asking me for some water. Yeah. yeah, even even that right there is just such a different conception of God that, that I think a lot of people have is that they think, man, if if I if I push back on God, if I struggle with with doubt or if I struggle with questions or whatever, if if I don't come just perfect, that, that God's gonna kind of push me away. And actually what you see the, is the opposite here. You see her trying to push God away, mm-hmm. to push Jesus away. And Jesus is going, No, 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 you're you're I'm not gonna let you do that just just yet. Yeah. Jesus is not this stained glass figure that came to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save. And this yeah. is part of his seeking. So he's willing to get he's he's willing to get dirty, he's willing to get down into where people are, right in the midst of their needs and their sins and communicate his love, acceptance, his 
expectation of their positive response to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's that 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 term that people often use. They're, they're spiritual seekers. They're seekers. And I know at least from my own life and a lot of other people I talk to, uh, a lot of times, you know, seeking is sometimes, at least has been in my life, kind of a, an excuse for just laziness. Like, well, I'm not really sure where I am and I'm just going to kind of stay where I am. I'm just going to say I'm seeking. I'm in this transitional phase. But really the, the seeker that we see so many times in scripture, and we see it here, Jesus is seeking out an opportunity to have a conversation. So it's not the woman who is seeking. She's apparently lived, been living this way for quite a while. She's okay with where she's at. It's Jesus who is seeking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the, at the, at toward the end of the conversation, when Jesus is interrupted by the disciples coming back and, and there's this awkward moment where the disciples are, 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 are feeling, oh my goodness, what, you know, I, I really thought Jesus was spiritual, and yet he's talking to this woman, and they're baffled by that. And the woman seems to be a little bit perplexed too, but Jesus has just confessed to her that he is the one she's looking for. She's looking for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And and in in a paraphrase, Jesus says, I am the one who has been chosen to speak to you. Hmm. I am the Messiah. I am speaking to you. He reveals himself early on in John, earlier than anywhere else in the other gospels about who he is. And this first revelation is not to a Jew. It's to a Gentile, in a sense, a Samaritan. Mm -hmm. And he convinces her that she is worth his time and that she is worth his acceptance. And that causes her to leave her water jar, which is the only reason she came to the well, mm-hmm. and then go into the town and share some good news with, with the other people in town. Yeah, you know, even bringing that water jar, mentioning that, it, it, the, the text says she brings it to, John tells us the detail that she came at noon, that she came alone. Mm-hmm. She she came at a time of the day when, you know, by cultural you, standards, you would have been maybe thinking about taking a nap, possibly a little siesta around noon, uh, maybe grabbing a snack. Uh, it was just a time where you got out of the heat of the day. Noon was considered, the sixth hour was considered the hottest hour of the day. And yet she comes alone by herself. Apparently, she's she's really an outcast in, in mm-hmm. so many ways mm-hmm. and has lived this way for a long time. And you see this woman who not just by racial standards or by whatever other standards you want to list, but even just within that culture itself, she's considered an outcast. She's alone. The other women, oftentimes women would come to the wells together because this could have been maybe up to a mile walk from her house where she's right. carrying this. And and yet she's she's an outcast. And Jesus, the outcast of the outcast, he he's having this conversation with her. He's crossing this divide. But let, let's get into this conversation a little bit about uh, the, the whole business with uh, Jesus talking about her husbands. I mean, what, what do you make of this part of the conversation? I mean, Jesus doesn't know. I mean, maybe she wasn't wearing a head covering or something, which culturally would have indicated she doesn't have a husband. Uh, we, we don't really know. Or maybe it was just supernatural insight by Jesus part that, Hey, the, the, you know, him being the son of God and all, he could see that. Uh, but what, what do you make of that conversation? That part of the conversation that he has with her about, about having, uh, having had several husbands. Right. This comes at a point where he's talked to her about living water and, and she, uh, She's not really taking him as seriously as she should. It's, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'd like to have that water, and that way I wouldn't have to come back to the well. 
In other words, she, Jesus is clearly talking about spiritual water. Jesus is the water of life, mm-hmm. clearly talking about that. She kind of keeps dumbing it down to natural water. Mm. And so I think this is the point in the conversation where she's, 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 she's all in the conversation, but Jesus flips it and says, out of respect for your husband, go get your husband. In mm-hmm. other words, for me to continue to talk with you at this level, your your husband really ought to be present. And uh, and she says, "Oh, I I don't have a husband." Mm-hmm. And then and Jesus, uh, it's interesting because Jesus reacts by saying, "You're right." You know, when my dad and I thought of this idea of Adam and Eve and marriage, we thought of two people, a male and a female, being committed for life to one another. And you're right. You have not experienced that. Mm -hmm. You've had five husbands. Yeah. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Well, it it gets into this wider theme of Jesus about, and of the the entire Bible, that uh, sin, I I think one of the phrases you hear, sin is a dam. I think a lot of times we think of sin as a doorway, that sin's going to lead me into these, these great uh, experiences and whatnot. And it can seem like that momentarily, but over the course of our lives, when we look back, and sometimes it doesn't take very long to look back, but we see sin as a dam and sin is actually stopping us from, from having this living water that Jesus offers us that, you know, all life depends on water. And if you've got a dam, you put up a dam and and now it can't get downstream. It can't get later into our lives. Uh, we find death starts to re- enter the picture pretty quickly. So I, I don't know, what, what do you make of this, uh, this theme that Jesus is hitting here? Yeah, I think the interesting thing is a lot of times we get into sin because we have this fear of missing out. But sin is actually the thing that causes us to miss out on on what's what's vital for life. So so Jesus wants to break this dam in her life, this this thing that she isn't willing to confront, this thing that she's hiding from, this this thing that she's unwilling to confess. And so he pinpoints it um, so that she can identify it and 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 own up to it. I think that there's this balance going on here between this total acceptance, this unconditional love that that Jesus is offering her, signified by the fact that he's taking time to talk to her. He's taking time to listen to her, really listen to her. He's treating her in a sense as 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 an equal. Mm-hmm. And and he's uh, inviting her to accept his acceptance of her. The way that we do that is by being transparent with him. Hmm. And, and there's, there's confession, which means agreeing with God. I love the fact that to confess our sins is to, to, to say, God, you're right. Yeah. I've messed up here. You know, yeah. There, there's a comical part to confession. It's that we're finally admitting to ourselves and and openly to God what He already knows, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of where the comedy comes in. It's like, yeah, I already knew this, but finally we're owning up to it, and we're we're asking, saying, or, or we're we're admitting that this is you know this is where we have allowed a dam in our life to start to be built, to where that that stream of living water 
stops. I mean, you yeah. let sin enter a relationship. I mean, I've talked to so many college students over the years and go, man, we had a great relationship until uh, sex entered the picture. Mm-hmm. And then, man, just I noticed I was more jealous than I'd ever mm-hmm. been. Uh, we fought more, just all those kinds of things. And it's like, well, yeah, you, you cut yourself off. You start to build a dam that doesn't allow God's life to f- flow through that relationship the way it was meant to. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gene, let, let's keep moving because we could keep talking about any of this for you know many, many hours of podcasting. But let's talk a little bit about worship. Jesus, obviously, the, the conversation gets into worship. She kind of spins it one way. Jesus pulls it a different direction. Well, what do you make of that part yeah. of the, the conversation here? Back in the, in the day, um, worship was only possible in a worship place like the temple in Jerusalem or from the Samaritan standpoint, uh, the temple on top of Mount Gerizim. Uh, Jesus dismisses place and identifies the place where we can worship as being, uh, we become the sanctuary. We become the place um, where we worship God by acknowledge, by living with God in, in the spirit and truth. And it's very exciting to know that we, we don't have to go to a place to worship, that God has come and made each of our lives a sanctuary where we can worship him, honor him, acknowledge him, praise him. And uh, getting back to the sexuality, what we do with our sexuality affects the way that we worship. Mm-hmm. What we do with our money affects the way that we worship. What we do in treating strangers affects the way that we worship. Yeah, we are the temple now. You know, right. we individually and then collectively as we gather together, we are the temple where God meets and worship happens there. Well, let's let's keep going on to this part about her reaction. So she has this uh, pretty unique reaction, you know, that we see what what do you what do you make of her reaction to to Jesus goes and he tells her all this stuff, has this amazing conversation with her, and then what does she go do? Yeah, this is uh this is so intriguing to me because here's a woman that uh, instead of getting water during the cool of the day, she goes during the heat of the day when there's nobody else around, or that's what she hopes. So she spends her life kind of hiding her sin. And yet there's something in this conversation with Jesus that causes her to leave the water jar, run into town, and say, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Hmm which is is just sort of a national inquire sort of headline <laughs> inquiring minds you know want to know and that's the that's that's the the big question what is it that's happened to her in her conversation with Jesus that would cause her to drop her guard drop her defenses and just be herself yeah, instead of trying to avoid people, which is what she's done up to this point, this frees her to be with people. Mm-hmm. You know, she she's been with God. Now she can be with people. There's something in this conversation with Jesus that has made her feel as though Jesus knows everything that she's ever done. And he still loves her. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. still wants her to be his friend. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, that she goes and does this. And the thing I love about it too is that she's not theologically trained. She hasn't been to seminary. She hasn't been in, you know, 16 different Bible studies over the past, you know, semester. She's just someone who's been impacted by Jesus. And so what she does is she takes that great trip. And and oftentimes, you know, I've said that 
you know, I think we think of missionary journeys. We think, oh, I need to get on a plane and go across the world. Sometimes the missionary journey is simply to walk across the room and find that person who needs finding that God taps you on the shoulder, taps you on the heart and says, go talk to that person. Mm -hmm. Not because you have all the answers, not because you've read every theological book in the library, but simply because I've done something for you. And I just want you to go and start a conversation and let me take care of where it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the ripple effect of her simply responding to Jesus's love and becoming more transparent and an entire town experiences a revival. Yeah. You know, the ripple effect of that. And, and what are we holding back? Talk about dams. You know, there is a ripple effect that God wants to have through our lives on other people. And until we become transparent with him, God can't use us the way he wants to use us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we I hadn't thought of it that in that aspect till you just said that about by withholding our stories of what God's done in our lives. We inadvertently create a dam. But when we share, hey, here's how God has has transformed my life. Here's the things he's done. I'm not saying my life's perfect, but I'm saying that God has done some really good work in my life. And I've just got to tell other people about it. That that gets passed on to others. And you clearly see that in this story. So Yeah, I'm I'm haunted by a quote. Um, that I heard from Rebecca Manley Pippert in, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. She says, when I stop telling people about Jesus, it's because I've usually stopped listening to people. Hmm. When I listen to people, I hear their need, I hear their pain, and I want to tell them about Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. And you see Jesus clearly doing that. He's listening to the woman. He sees her pain. He doesn't, he doesn't send her off to a psychologist to get counseling. That sort of thing. Not to say that, that all that is bad, but he says, Hey, listen, I've got something I can offer you here and let me, let me offer it to you. Mm -hmm. A beautiful thing. Well, let's, let's move into this final part, Gene, of implications, applications, uh, obviously so much stuff and, and groups I'm sure will go in a lot of different directions. But when you think implications, applications, uh, what, what are some of the, the things quickly you think of? I'm haunted, uh, again, by memories from high school where I would try to be too cool for school. And, and I remember distinctly walking by tables of people that I would not sit with because they might hurt my reputation as not being part of a certain crowd. Mm. And uh, I think that we carry that over. We carry that over in the classrooms. Who do we sit next to? And uh, so I think the, the thing that convicts me here is that there are, are people that are not like me that I need to talk to, mm -hmm. that there are actually some things that God has for me from them and, and hopefully some things from me for them if, if I'll step out of my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. You, you clearly see... Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus challenging, challenging her to, like you say, walk across those divides to go out and reach out to some people. But I think, you know, for me, one of the things I think about when I read this is the challenge of Jesus, that Jesus has kind of this image of like, oh, he was just so soft-spoken and so, you know, meek and mild. And, and yes, there was a, a gentleness of Jesus. I mean, absolutely. I mean, he embodied gentleness. I, I take it more perfectly than anyone who ever lived. And yet this was the same man who, you know, 
kicked over tables, you know, in the temple. There was a there was a challenging part to Jesus, and it is easy for us to look again on on those those conversations. And go, yes, Jesus, you go challenge them, but but this is Jesus' character. This is who he is. He is going to come to our very 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 imperfect culture, our very imperfect moment in time in our lives, and say, okay let me challenge you. But he doesn't do it out of a sense of, you know, this is how he gets his kicks and thrills by just challenging people and putting them in their place and and, and moving on. He actually does it. It's still his love. I take it. Everything that Jesus did was motivated by his love. And so that's actually what he's doing here is he is operating out of a sense of love. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so there's several stories going on here. We need to realize that this story is not simply about a woman at the well. This story is about us, and we need to let Jesus speak to us of his love and acceptance, but we also need to let him put his finger on on our pet sins, uh, the things that we're keeping hidden, the things that are, are keeping us from being the person God created us to be. And then once that takes place, then we need to realize that there's also some 12 other characters in the story, the disciples, mm-hmm. who, who come back and are feeling very uncomfortable about Jesus talking to this woman, Jesus breaking cultural barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is a rebel with a cause. He's, uh, he's absolutely committed to the things that are eternal, part of eternal culture. But the temporal culture, if they get in the way of loving people, he dispenses with them. Yeah, but the correct. challenge is, Am I, if if I had come back with the other twelve disciples, w- would I have been blessed by what Jesus was doing, or have I, or I would have I kind of rolled my eyes at, oh my goodness, Jesus makes me feel so awkward, you know? Yeah, that's a that's such a great distinction here because Jesus is willing to challenge certain types of cultural, uh, cultural bits, the temporal bits, but the eternal truths. I mean, I mean challenging her on a bit of uh, sexuality. I mean, this is, this is in the 10 commandments clear throughout all scripture. Hey, this is what God, lo- this is what uh, sexual wholeness and, and fullness looks like. There's a clear scriptural picture of this. And Jesus is saying, Hey, I- I'm not going to sweep that away. I'll sweep away some of the cu- ceremonial stuff of, well, if I drink after a cup, if I drink in a cup that a Samaritan woman's offered me, this is going to make me unclean. Well, that's temporal stuff. And I, I but the eternal stuff remains. And it, it gets this last point that, that I think is important on the implications application point is this breaking the dam. How do we break these dams in our lives? Oswald Chambers has this great, uh, great piece in his, uh, in his uh, uh, daily devotional, Most for His Highest, where he says that if you want to know why you're in a season of spiritual dryness, he says, oftentimes go back, allow the Holy Spirit to take you back to that last place where you knowingly disobeyed God. Let the, let the Holy Spirit take you back to there, because oftentimes those those dams, not all the time, that's not the only reason for spiritual dryness, but oftentimes it can be the case that that dam started with that one rock, and it's down there at the bottom, and you've stacked and stacked and stacked, and, and he wants to take you back there and do business with you there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I, I know we could keep going. There's so much to cover in these passages. That's why we picked them, because they're just not exhausted. 
quickly. And there's so much good stuff here. I hope that our conversation here has helped you to just hear some of the things that are in the text. You know, it's interesting to think about podcasting and you think, well, yes, we want people to be readers. Uh, we have a Bible. I think the Christian tradition actually very uniquely in world history has emphasized reading in a unique way. But but also the original hearers were, were just that. They were hearers. And so we hope that overhearing our conversation today has been helpful for you so that you can go out and have great conversations in your M groups, conversations that are life-giving, conversations where people learn, but ultimately where uh, the long the long goal picture of it all is that people become disciples of Jesus and learn to follow him more and that their lives are transformed. And so I hope, uh, hope you have a great uh, in-group over this passage and we'll talk uh, very soon.